Welcome to another edition of Alternative News brought to you by Romina Betsin from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament produced at 3CR. Today we will present a repeated program on Hong Kong and United States and later on you will hear Rick Sanchez who is a Cuban-American journalist and he is discussing the recent history of the U.S. government lying in order to justify war. He tells us the real reason why Soleimani was assassinated and why the U.S. may soon be at war with Iran. Hong Kong and United States People often ask and hint at the similarities between the Hong Kong protests and the French Yellow Vests. There is no comparison between the two movements, except they are protests, but for widely different reasons and serving widely different agendas. The Yellow Vests can in no way be associated with the Hong Kong protests, which are equal to US-funded color revolutions. The Yellow Vests' leaders are fighting against the French government that stealing the legitimate income in the form of all sorts of taxes and keeps a minimum wage on which French families cannot survive. The Macron government is creating poverty by shifting the financial resources, the few that are left from the bottom to the top. That's what Yellow Vest's leaders are saying. They want a fundamental change in the French economic structure and the French leadership. All of this has nothing to do with the Washington-funded Hong Kong protests that are directed on Washington's behalf against the government of mainland China. The French Yellow Vests know what they are fighting for. The Hong Kong protesters, most of them, follow few leaders under false pretenses against their country, against Beijing. Many of the protesters are pro-Westerners. They sing the United States national anthem and wave the British flag, the flag of their colonialists. Funding to destabilize Hong Kong had already started in 1994, three years before the official handover of Hong Kong by the United Kingdom to the Beijing government. Way before the official date of returning Hong Kong in 1997 to the People's Republic of China, PRC, the U.S. built up a network of fifth columnists in Hong Kong. Washington pours millions into creating unrest in Hong Kong. Similarly, as in Ukraine, when the U.S. State Department financed the preparation of the 2014 coup at least five years ahead at the tune of five billion U.S. dollars. According to Victoria Nolan's Deputy Secretary of State own admission through NED, the National Endowment for Democracy. It is an extended arm of the CIA, receiving hundreds of millions of dollars from the State Department for their regime-changing activities around the world. In 1991, the Washington Post quoted a NED founder, Alan Weinstein, as saying, a lot of what we do today was done 25 years ago by the CIA. The U.S. will not let go. 
especially now that most people who have at least a limited understanding on how these Western manipulations work comprehend and see for themselves who is spreading the unrests. Take the 22-year-old student and Western hero of the 2014 Umbrella Revolution, Joshua Wong, trained, programmed and funded by the United States Department. He is again a main player in the current protest movement. Wong is the underground boy for the local media tycoon, Jimmy Lay, who has spent millions of his own money in the 2014 Occupy Central protests, Umbrella Revolution. The oligarch uses his funds widely to finance protest leaders and protest groups. He also created his own national party with significant xenophobic connotations. Yet Mr. Lee is very close to the Trump administration and met along with many of his protest leaders with the United States envoy in Hong Kong, as well as with National Security Advisor John Bolton and other U.S. officials. On July 8, Mr. Jimmy Lee met U.S. Vice President Mike Pence at the White House. Lay has full support of the United States government to fire on and promote these protest groups. Yet, if asked, the protesters have no precise plan or strategy of what they want. The island is largely divided. By far, not all protesters want to separate from the mainland. They feel Chinese and express their disgust with Jimmy Lay's radical anti-Beijing propaganda. They call him a traitor. The protests started with a controversial extradition law, which exists between most states in the United States, as well as between nations in Europe and to a large extent internationally. Therefore, this is nothing unusual. Yet, its importance was blown out of proportion by the Western media and by Mr. Lay's own local media to distort the picture. A minority, of course, would like their full independence from China, which is totally against the agreement signed between the UK and Beijing at the so-called 1997 handover. Recently, the US sent a couple of warships into China waters at Hong Kong. They had the nerve to ask Beijing to grant them the right to duck at Hong Kong harbour. Beijing, of course, refused and warned Washington, do not meddle in our internal affairs. Of course, Washington has no intention to observe China's advice. They never do. The US-inspired and funded protests are destined to challenge the Hong Kong-China Sovereignty Clause by mobilizing public opinion that wants full freedom, that is, independence from China. The 50 years of the usual abusive capitalist continuation would allow the imperialist US and UK to maintain economic control over Hong Kong and thereby used economic influence over the China. How wrong they were. In 1997, Hong Kong's GDP constituted 27% of the China's GDP. Today, that proportion shrunk to a mere 3%.
China's rapidly growing level of development, especially the Belt and Road Initiative, which the West chose to literally ignore until about a year ago, which has become a vital threat to the U.S. corporate world. What the U.S. and U.K. and the rest of the West interested in is Hong Kong's special banking position in the world. Hong Kong has the most liberal banking laws, possibly worldwide, where illegal money transactions, money laundering, shady investments in the billions can be carried out and nobody watches. Maintaining Hong Kong as long as possible with this special nation status and using influence and control over China's financial markets is one of the Western goals. But China and other Eastern countries, plus Russia, India, Pakistan, have already largely detached or are in the process of detaching from the dollar economy and are members of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, SCO. Let's face it, the SCO comprises about half of the world's population and controls about one-third of the globe's economic output. To claim that the U.S. is not heavily involved in the events in Hong Kong is nonsense. The Hong Kong stuff is clearly a U.S.-instigated color revolution, just like the Umbrella Movement in 2014. Here is Rick Sanchez. Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Sanchez. Last Friday, we were first to report a full 24 hours that Iran was willing to admit that it accidentally shot down the Ukrainian airline. Tonight, another blockbuster regarding the real reason the United States felt it had to assassinate Qasem Soleimani. The Trump White House says Soleimani was killed because he was on the verge of killing Americans with some type of terrorist attack on four U.S. embassies. But to date, no one has been able to confirm any such planned attack. And this weekend... Secretary of Defense Mike Esper saying he saw no evidence of an imminent attack on embassies. In fact, it is appearing that the pretext for the assassination of Soleimani was a a lie, just a blatant lie. On a matter so important that it could lead to war, is there a history of our government lying? Yeah. Vietnam. It began because of the Gulf of Tonkin incident, where in 1964, a U.S. destroyer came under attack from the North Vietnamese. Problem is, it never happened. In his memoirs, Secretary of State McNamara, the guy in charge back then, admits it was all made up. Iraq War Number 1, U.S. citizens who did not want us to go to war with Iraq were told that Saddam Hussein's soldiers were killing babies in Kuwait by taking them out of incubators in a hospital and throwing them on the floor, stepping on them. So said this tearful young lady who convinced Americans at the time that we should go to war. They took the babies out of the incubators and left the children to die on the cold floor. Sounds terrible, right? That 15-year-old... She was lying. She was coached to do so by a PR company hired by the White House. The truth is not a single baby was ever killed or taken out of incubators. And the so-called witness, it was later revealed by a Canadian investigative team that she was actually the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter who was a friend to President Bush. Iraq War number two. Iraq declared 8,500 liters of anthrax. But UNSCOM estimates 
that Saddam Hussein could have produced 25,000 liters. If concentrated into this dry form, this amount would be enough to fill tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of teaspoons. And Saddam Hussein has not verifiably accounted for even one teaspoonful of this deadly material. Sound convincing, right? That's uh, U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell at the United Nations arguing that Iraq had uh, WMDs because Bush, Cheney, Rumsfeld and Tenet were not credible at the time. Powell was chosen and coaxed into giving that speech that led to the second war in Iraq. Today, we know it, too, was a lie and one that even Mr. Powell says he horribly regrets now. So now our government appears once again to be lying to us about an assassination that could lead to a war with Iran. So here's the question. If Soleimani wasn't planning an attack, then what is the real reason that he was snuffed out by a U.S. military drone? The answer, according to several global intelligence platforms like the Stratford Group, who focus exclusively on geopolitical shifts for their investors, it's possibly this. Iran and Saudi Arabia were beginning the early stages of a detente of sorts, a coming together, a possible truce without Washington's blessing. This truce was being mediated by Pakistan and Iraq. In fact, the reason that Soleimani arrived in Iraq on that day when he was hit with the drone that killed him, when he was assassinated, was to meet with Iraqi Prime Minister Adil Abdul Mahdi, who would then take Soleimani's message and deliver it to the Saudis. He was the go-between. Why were the Saudis suddenly warming up to Iran? And why did that so bother the United States? Or was it maybe the Israelis that it led to having Soleimani eliminated? Was keeping the Saudis and the Iranians apart as enemies the real reason that Soleimani was assassinated? Was Soleimani killed just as he was about to do a deal with Saudi Arabia? I don't know if you remember, but back in September, right here on this newscast, we told you about an attack at a Saudi Aramco oil field in Saudi Arabia that was hit with Iranian cruise missiles and drones. Iran at the time seemed hell-bent on sending a message back then, and the message seemed pretty clear to Saudi Arabia. If the U.S. hits us again, we're not going to hit them. We're going to hit you, Saudi Arabia, and the other Gulf states for taking their side on this thing. Well, since then, global intel experts started noticing that the Saudis have been secretly reaching out to Iran because if push comes to shove, the U.S. won't have their back in a clash with Iran. And that's what they wanted to avoid. So they started saying, well, let's see if we can maybe warm up to these guys, the Iranians. Thank you for listening to Alternative News. I'm Romina Betson. Looking forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.